Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is Mike here. You're listening to episode 196 of the show, and today we have Jeff Haskett joining us, co-founder and president of Claris R&D. And Claris R&D is a technology-driven solution for claiming R&D tax credits, helping innovative companies get money back into their business so they can continue to innovate and grow. Josh and I really enjoyed our time with Jeff. We hope you guys enjoy the conversation as well. And as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. .org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress. Let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we are excited to have Jeff Haskett joining us, and Jeff is a co-founder and the president of Claris R&D, and Claris R&D is a technology-driven solution for claiming R&D tax credits, helping innovative companies get money back into their business so they can continue to innovate and grow, and prior to Claris, Jeff served in a variety of leadership roles several companies and he's also currently an advisor for Nikola Labs who we've had on the show here earlier. We're really excited to have Jeff on the show today to talk about everything they've got going on. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Jeff. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's great to be here and congratulations on putting together a great show. You know, I've listened <laughs> to a lot of the episodes and you guys are doing great things. Well, thanks so much. Glad yeah. you listened to them and uh, we appreciate that. If you've 
listened to a couple of them. You might know the way we like to start this is just talk a little bit about your life before Claris R&D, so any previous roles growing up, anything highlights along the way that you feel really made an impact on your life and career? Sure, sure, yeah, thank you. Um, most importantly, I'd probably describe myself as husband and father. You know, my wife, Caroline, and I have three kids. Our oldest, Sophie, is actually freshman at Ohio State at Fisher, actually, which is really fun to see because that's where I came from. And our second daughter, Rosemary, is senior in high school, and our son, Parker, is a sophomore. Caroline is from Atlanta, so this time of year is kind of tough. You know, she reminds me that she moved to Columbus for love. Yeah, and we've been married for 20 years. Um, I'm an Ohio guy. I grew up in northeastern Ohio, a town called Stowe, and went to Ohio State here, graduated in 1991 with degrees in economics and accounting, and I've been in Columbus ever since. So early career, you know, I, I, after graduating from Ohio State, you know, I got hired with Accenture, worked there for about seven years, which is a great place to start a career because they basically beat the snot out of you. You know, learned a lot about software development, client service, but also learned how to work. And also, you know, traveled a lot and met my wife. Uh, and like many, I left Accenture to stop traveling, start a family, and we did. You know, that time I joined BMW Financial Services here in town and ran the application development group there. And that's where I learned a lot about how to build software. The team was big, and we did a lot of really great stuff. I joined there when it was still relatively small, you know, kind of before we got on the, the big radar. But, um, you know, had a, had a really nice ride there. But my desire, and at that point, was to always be an entrepreneur. So I actually left there in 20, 2009 to join a young e-commerce startup. So I am a successful corporate escapee, which many people try, but is pretty hard to do. It was a very difficult transition, you know, so I went from running a department of 125 software developers to a company that only had six people in it. And for those who are thinking about making the transition like that, uh, it's possible, but it's not easy. So if you think about what was going on in our life at that time, we had three kids, we had a mortgage, and if you remember what was going on in 2009, it was not really a great time to leave your safe corporate job. So it was a wild roller coaster ride. You know, it, immediately I was thrown into things like raising funds and building a sales team. This was stuff that I had never done before, and it was a real wake-up call. We were OTAF funded and Tech Columbus funded, so got a chance to experience all that. And that company was eventually sold in 2010. And just to show how things go full circle, so even though that was way back then, the head of sales and the CTO actually for that company are actually with Claris now. Hmm. So it just sort of shows how the community works in terms of talent and friends. I mean, you, you go back to the people that you work with that do a great job. So after that, you know, played in a role in a number of innovative companies like Progressive Medical and Lexton. Um, and in the middle of this too, our, my wife and I actually bought a company that imported and sold olive oil online, if you can believe that. <laughs> so we bought bottled olive oil from Sicily and Italy and Chile and sold it online actually before Amazon became really big. But uh, that was a great experience, too, because you know, we were doing the pick, pack, and ship from our dining room. So our kids got to see all this, what it was like to run a 
small business that at that point was was home based. And eventually, you know, the path led to Nicola Labs, which I joined in 2014 when they were just getting started. Will Zell, I mean, he's he's a great guy. You know, I can't say enough good things about that company. And really, only left there when we got the opportunity to start Claris. You know, so that's the path that leads me to where I am now. So that e-commerce company, um, what were you guys focused on? And in only a matter of 12 to what, 18 months, you said in one year almost, you turned around and sold it. How did that transition so quickly? Well, I joined the company later in its development. It was actually a company that was, it, it had been in business for six years by the time I came on board. And, you know, amazingly enough, you know, the guy that, the entrepreneur that had started it was a developer in my group at BMW. So, you know, I would kind of peek over his shoulder and you know, say, hey, what, what are you working on? And, you know, How are, what are you doing with this company? And he was kind of bootstrapping it and getting it up off the ground. And by the time that I was really ready to make that jump to become an entrepreneur, he's like, well, why don't you come and join us? You know, and we kind of worked together to make a deal happen. And, you know, I found a nice exit from BMW and that was the entree to make that leap. So by the time that I joined, they were really, you know, a year or two away from that exit. And it turned out really well. It was a really nice success story for North Coast Angels and for Tech Columbus, one of their first meaningful exits. And what were you focused on? What was the company doing? Uh, the company was an e-commerce e platform, you know, so it helped companies go and, you know, uh, get online to sell their own products. So really before Amazon became kind of like the monster that it is. And eventually, uh, they were bought by uh, a company called Yell, you know, that was like uh, Yellow Pages. And then I think eventually got bought by Magento. Okay, so th throughout that process, I guess, because one thing that comes with making that leap from corporate to a startup is you have to actually want to do that, right? So yeah. when did you realize, like, hey, I, I really want to move away from this corporate environment? What made you want to get involved with a startup? Uh, I think it's probably the, the, the same for a lot of people. You know, when we worked at BMW and started there, it was, it was relatively new here in Columbus. I mean, the heritage of BMW in Columbus, it was originally an outsourced deal with Bank One. So uh, that's the reason they're here in Columbus. So when they broke off from Bank One and became BMW, there were, there were probably only 100 people in that company. So it felt like a startup. So the team that we put together was fantastic. So you got a little of that startup feel. I mean, we got the chance to run our own you know, initiatives, you know, drive our own destiny, but we grew quickly and you can't stay off the corporate radar when you get too big. So that's when it started to get a little bit more political. You know, the decision started to slow down a little bit and I started to really think about you know, what would it be like to work for a small company, you know, to be really entrepreneurial. And I had some friends, particularly a fraternity brother from Ohio State, it was off doing entrepreneurial stuff. And I just remember picking his brain and saying, you know, what's it like to be out? <laughs> and uh, he convinced me that that was, you know, something that I really, really wanted to do. So how did the idea for Claris R&D come to fruition? I mean, you're at, you're at Nicola at the time that it happens? Yeah, actually, and, you know, the founding story for Claris R&D is really a story about tax geek meets tech geek. You know, my co-founder is a guy named Brent Johnson, and we were good friends prior to starting the company. Actually, we met in a men's Bible study that we still have weekly. So 
you know, I think that's one of the important things. Like if you want to start something from scratch, it's good to have, if you're going to have a co-founder, have it be somebody that you really kind of trust and maybe even have a relationship on a, on a deeper level. But he, Brent was a brilliant tax guy. He was a tax accountant and he knew the tax law and he knew that I knew software development. So, you know, these R&D tax credits, they've been around for a long time. They've been there since the 80s and almost 90% of them are taken by big companies over $100 million. You know, 60% of them are manufacturers. But there was this piece of legislation called the PATH Act that was passed in 2015 and it was, it was game changing. You know, basically the reason that a lot of the startups didn't take this credit or was taken by big companies, you only take it against taxable income. So startups don't have taxable income. They're often running a loss. So even though they qualify, they couldn't, they couldn't get any benefit from it. But the PATH Act changed it so that if you met certain criteria, if you were under five years old, or you're under $5 million, which most startups are, you could actually start to take it against your payroll tax. So now you didn't have to have taxable income. You didn't even have to have revenue. All you had to do was hire people. And this was really the, had the effect of dumping billions of dollars worth of non-dilutive capital into the system that was now available, but none of these companies knew about it. That was a big problem. Brent like noticed this, and he came to me and was like, you know, is this like a game changer? You know, Jeff, you work with startups and you know technology, and I'm betting a lot of companies are going to miss this. And I said, you know, absolutely. And the other thing was the delivery model was all wrong. You know, a lot of these tax credits were kind of like the purview of these boutique tax firms that were super high priced and were focused on billable hours. They weren't, they weren't focused on efficiency. So we saw that this was an opportunity to, dis to disrupt the whole model. So we kind of took a TurboTax approach, kind of like what TurboTax did for personal taxes, we took the same approach. You know, if we really want to serve these young companies, we have to make it easy, it has to be technology driven. You know, these entrepreneurs, you know, want to be able to do it on their own time, they want to be able to do it from their bathtub if they need to, so that's, that's what we built. We, we built the easy way to do this that was technology driven and we made it inexpensive and we made it, you know, still very, uh, um, very complete, it had to be compliant, you know, but it was something that these young companies could now consume. And, and it worked, you know, we, we started off and I can, you know, tell that story about how we took it from there, but I mean, it's doubled every year. And, you know, something interesting happened kind of along the way is that every company we did a tax credit for actually had a CPA or a tax preparer attached to it. And they started looking at the software and they said, Wow, you know, can we love this? You know, can we use it too? So that led to a lot of you know conversations where uh, the direction that we're really taking the whole company now is really as a software provider. We white label the software and we sell it to CPAs and tax providers so they can do this for their client. And that made a lot of sense to us because you know part of the reason that we started the company was really because we thought it was a great opportunity, but the other piece was that. There was a really great mission associated with it. You know, both Brent and I had been parts of young companies. We had gone through how painful it is to get funded as a startup or as a young company. And we had a heart for these young entrepreneurs that were putting their livelihoods at risk to pursue their dreams. And here was this money that was out there available, but they couldn't get to it. So, you know, kind of what drives us, our mission is that we want to get this money into the hands of these people that are doing great things. So that's 
one of our big KPIs that we measure. We measure how much in credits you know we're getting back to these companies. And you know, up to this point, you know, we started in 2016, and now we've got over 400 customers, and we've done over 26 million dollars in tax credits. So that's money that's gone into back into all those companies relatively quickly. And our average tax credit is about $75,000. So that's really meaningful money for these companies. Some of them are a lot bigger. Um, and 63 of those companies are right here in Ohio, but we do a national business. So what does that look like from ideation to creation? Because it's, it's always interesting to hear the entrepreneur talk about the idea came about. Um, I had a friend that I believed in or a fellow entrepreneur and then the next step is we have our first customer and we have this revenue. But when it comes to the more granular details, what did that look like for you and your partner? Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things that really attracted me to this opportunity, and we, we talked about the e-commerce company, I joined that later on, you know. And this was really the opportunity to start something from, like, dead stop. I mean, it was just an idea. Um, so... That was fun, but it was also a challenge. You know, we formed the idea in 2016, and you know, we started from a lot of Brent's work products. You know, that were all in, you know, in Word docs and spreadsheets. So we figured out how to do the business and the technology we we built ultimately just from those pieces of paper. And then we went out and we got some friends. We said we built some pilot customers, and these are people that are that we knew around town and you know our, our entrepreneurs here like Alex Frohmeyer at Beam Dental and Mark Stam at Web Presented. We had a company out of Arkansas named uh, Movista, uh, Ray Sheely from Ticket Fire and Safe, Safe Light. We just reached out to people we know and it's like, would you give this a try? You know, we haven't even built the MVP yet, but would you just go through the process? Would you buy into the idea? So um, that was our first step to go out and really do that. And you know, thankfully they bore with it and they did it all on paper, and that's how we got the processes down to eventually build it in the MVP, which we hired local shop to do that. So in September, we built the first piece of you know, technology, kind of on a shoestring. At this point, we were just this was just with capital that we had written checks for ourselves. You know, we hadn't really hadn't raised much capital to that point. And then we built that uh, before we even built the MVP. You know, like FMX is a big part of the story. So right about the time when we were finishing the pilots, actually, Josh, you know, you were at a uh, networking event where you heard me talking about both Nikola Labs and Claris, you know, just the idea. And I remember afterwards, you sent me a little email that said, hey, those tax credits, you know, I work for this company called FMX, you know, can we get one of those? And that led to one of the first meetings that we ever had with Jeff Wilkins, you know, and Brian Gregory where we kind of pitched the idea to them. It's like, hey, would you be willing to do the same thing? We don't have the technology built, but would you give it a try? I even remember getting ready for that meeting with Jeff because I knew him, you know, his grandkids and our, our kids go to the same school, so I had met him before. And I remember prepping for the meeting and telling the team before we went, it's like, all right, this is how this is gonna go down. <laughs> we have to be really ready. Uh, Jeff is going to really listen, right? Not everybody does. And he's going to ask probably two or three really good questions. And if we have answers, then he'll do business with us. And if we don't, then we'll probably never hear from him again. And thankfully, we had good answers. And, 
you know, they signed on for us. It's been a great relationship. And they were, FMX was our first paying customer. We have the, the check literally pinned on a bulletin board. So the first one of over 400, you know, really kind of came from FMX. And here we are. And here we right are. Here in the FMX and here offices. we are. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty cool story. And I, you know, I remembered, <coughs> I remembered all that happening at the time because I was still working here at FMX as well when that all came about. And it was just pretty cool to see it all come together. And it, it really has had a, a big impact on our business here. So it's, it's been great. Uh, but, you know, what were some of the earliest challenges for your team? So outside of, you know, that's a big success early on, getting your first paid customer. What were some of the earliest challenges you guys faced and, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, um, when I think of, you know, challenges, you know, obviously once we finished the MVP and we really knew we had something, um, it was about raising some capital. Uh, and thankfully, I mean, we took a real measured approach. You know, we, we just went out to people that we knew, people that believed. And you know, we've raised most of our capital here, right here in Columbus, you know, from people that were friends of the company. Um, you know, up to this point, we just raised uh, our last round. It was actually oversubscribed, so we're at about $2 million in equity funding that we, that we built. And we're... And we also bundled that with a line of credit that we were able to get. I mean, that's a... Uh, similar process that I know FMX has taken, you know, which is really smart because I think that, you know, if you're going to do measured growth, I mean, you really want to be careful about how you take equity into the company. You want to really, we've been focused on really proving what we're doing before we, you know, take that on. But, you know, that led to some challenges as well because, you know, when you're early on, you're really scrapping. You're intentionally bootstrapping yourself to make sure that you are proving uh, what you're doing before you uh, take on that capital. Uh, so resource constraint is is a big deal. Uh, you just never have enough to do what you want to do. You know, I kind of equate or I think about you know, building a company from scratch is like trying to build an orchestra. You know, but you start with an absolutely empty room. <laughs> it's just you, um, and you can't just sit up there and wave your baton. I mean you have to convince people to come and join your orchestra. And the idea is that as you build a company, you know, the, the goal is to build a full orchestra. I mean, that plays beautiful music. And the orchestra playing beautiful music together is, is the value of the company. I mean, that's, it's the music that, that investors want to buy. It's the, ultimately what pump people want to acquire uh, is that this orchestra can play beautiful music. But when you're early on, if you need a violin player and you don't have a violin player, <laughs> you have to play the violin. And you might stink at playing the violin. You might hate to play the violin. But it's something that you have to do as you consistently and methodically build that orchestra. And you know, if you're lucky enough to convince you know, those first few players to come on board with you, especially when you can't afford to really play them, you know, that's how you eventually uh, get through that whole process. And, you know, we've been lucky. You know, we've we've gotten some really good people to join our team, and you know, the orchestra's starting to play. It's not full yet, but you know, we're we're it's getting a lot more fun. Hey there, Congress. We're gonna take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors here on the show, Studio Three Hundred One. Mike and I, we've been working with Studio Three Hundred One on our rebrand, doing our website, doing some new photography working on some logo adjustments and just really positioning Conquering Columbus uh, in a more professional light. And I can tell you, 
Mike, it's been the funnest experience and the easiest experience I've ever had working with any type of creative agency. They come to the table with all kinds of awesome ideas that we're really excited about and everything that we've come up with so far and that we're about to put out is, is awesome. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, I've, I haven't been more excited about pretty much anything since we've done the podcast. Like, I really enjoy talking to all our guests, but this rebrand is just painted in a whole new light. And, you know, Kyle and his team have been a pleasure to work with. They've gone out of their way to go above and beyond to make this thing really special. So I think we're really excited to release this rebrand to everybody out there listening, and uh, I hope you guys love it as much as we do. And one of the best things is the rebrand not only positions Conquering Columbus as a whole, but all of our guests and more of a uh, professional and clean and formalized look that you know they deserve. We have super, super high quality, amazing people on here, and I think that this is gonna represent them really well, so it's been great. So thanks again to Studio 301. Yeah, if you guys wanna learn more about Studio 301, go check out the links down in the show notes. Help support Kyle and local teams here in Columbus, and uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the interview. You mentioned that transition from uh, just the tax credit consultation to some extent to more of a software and software as a service company. So can you talk more about what that transition is and then what that looks like today from a company structure? Um, yeah, I mean, if I think about what one of the things that we're really focused on right now is we're really focused on product development. So when we when you start off, you really start off with one product. And that's kind of where we started doing direct to customer. And I sort of described the process that we that was really customer-led, where where our um, CPA partners started to get really interested in the software, and we knew that if we if we could make the transition to being a true SaaS platform, it would ultimately allow us to scale more and it would build more value in the company. So now a lot of what we're focused on now is taking that one product and being very focused on building a product roadmap. So we're dividing that one product into three. And we're really focused on being very market driven. So we're actually out there with these three products, uh, pre-selling it, actually convincing you know, customers, large CPA firms or other partners or enterprises, which are areas we want to grow into. We want to sell the software to tax departments and big companies, and we want to sell it to top 100 CPA firms. So we're out there pre-selling to them in order to get them on board and get those user requirements. So a lot of our product development can be user-led. I think a lot of startups and a lot of software developers actually kind of try to guess the market. You know, and really what we're, what we're very focused on doing is developing a vision, but also get those customers believing in us earlier, kind of like those early pilot customers here in, here in Columbus, to really lead us into the future. And so we, so we, so we build it right. We build it intentionally. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you kind of mentioned a couple different things there about how things have changed over time for the company, but what about your own personal role? How has that changed as you've gone through this process? So, you know, I, I sort of started, I, I, I talked about starting from scratch. And starting from scratch, it's, it's really a battle because, I mean, you're still trying to figure your company out. You know so little. So for the last two years, you know, it's been me kind of like, trying to play all the instruments and getting people that could play multiple instruments. Uh, so we really fought to get the cash flow break even and evolve the solution to some, something that we thought that we could really grow to the next level. Um, we focused really on curating teams, so that's changed my role. Building out the product further has really changed my role, but really focused on uh, still on growth on purpose. 
my role has changed, like I said, of being the guy that plays all the, the instruments to being somebody that's sort of directing more of the strategy of how we're going to build the company. And that's been on, you know, kind of building infrastructure, you know, how do we build things that are going to allow us to scale the company and also allow us to serve some of these bigger customers. So really sort of projecting forward, you know, a little less, you know, bailing water out of the boat and trying to prepare ourselves for this next phase of growth. And one of the things that I think is really important is, you know, find people that have been where you want to go next and try to pick their brain, you know, try to get their advice. So just only recently, you know, we asked, you know, kind of more like begged, you know, Pam Springer to come and be an advisor for our company. You know, Pam, I think, is one of the best operators mm -hmm. for startups here that we have in Columbus. And she just had this great Oris exit where that company has gone through exactly what we want to do in the next two or three years. So I went to her and it's like, could I somehow get you excited about spending a little bit of time with us? <laughs> and that happened in the fall. I convinced her to come in and help. And you know, now thankfully she has come on board as an advisor and she spends two meetings a month with us. And we welcome her, her to come in and just beat the crap out of us. You know, and it, it makes us better. You know, we, we prepare for those meetings. Um, we know that she's a, uh, she will ask us tough questions, which I know is, a, is something you, uh, you absolutely need as a business leader. You need people to hold you accountable and make you work and pull you forward. So dovetails nicely. What are some of the key initiatives that you guys are working on right now? So right now, I sort of mentioned that we're really working on the software. Um, we're really trying to make that uh, transition from a services and software play to one that is, is pure software. So I sort of mentioned that you know, growing the functionality is something that we really need to do. But you know, at the same time, balancing that with ease of use. You know, one of the things that made you know, what we do really successful so far is that we we made it easy. You know, the people that were using the process and making the software really loved it because of uh, they could get through it. You know, and I think the challenge is that as we add more functions, that you could really make it complicated. You could kill the the golden goose that got you where you are. So we're really focused on that. We're really focused on building out this partner model. So that's really involved us making a shift on our sales team. Mm -hmm. You know, our Sales up to this point have largely been, you know, they're B2B, but they're direct to that business. So it's more of a transactional sale. And now, you know, with selling to CPA firms, now we're talking about a consultative, consultative sale and an indirect sale that uh, involves a different way of thinking about selling. So transitioning that team is, you know, something that we're working on right now. Okay. And so when it comes to the core product of, you know, getting these R&D tax credits in the hands of more people. What are some businesses and companies out there that might be able to take advantage of these tax credits that don't even realize it right now? Yeah, uh, and there's a lot of them. Right. <laughs> That's, that was really the, the genesis of our business. So kind of the way I like to describe this is that if you are in any way performing a technology-based innovation, you will likely qualify for something. You should look at it. We like to tell people that if you are creating anything new, if in your organization you have the title of anyone that is an engineer, 
you know, that's a good test. You probably qualify for something. And it doesn't matter the size. There, there's, there's common misconceptions out there that you need to earn revenue. You don't. Um, that, you, that your product or service needs to be launched in the market. It doesn't. Uh, that it needs to be successful. It doesn't. I mean, you really only have to spend money on this innovation. It kind of comes in three flavors, either wages, you know, people you pay to do the thing, uh, contracted expenses, you know, people that you hire as on a contracted basis to work on the thing, or supplies. So that's anything you spend to develop your innovation. And that could be anything from coffee and pizza to hosting services, AWS fees, you know. And all that gets added up, and credits are generally worth about 10%. Um, it is important to do it right. So we often talk about the fact that you know, it is important to pick a good partner. It is important to uh, get somebody who can do the proper documentation and make sure that you, you know, tick all the boxes. So uh, get out there and get good help. Uh, it is part of the requirement that you need to do content, contemporaneous uh, documentation, which means that as you're going through qualifying for this credit, you document the way you qualified, and you have to do it at the time. It can't be something you do later after the IRS calls you. Um, I would also add that there are lots of other incentives out there that companies should look at. You know, as, as startups and young businesses, we're, we sometimes get really focused on the equity, but there's a lot of credits incentives that are out there that are non-dilutive that you can take advantage of. And to kind of break it down, they, they kind of come in two flavors. There's statutory and then there's negotiated. So statutory credits are like the R&D tax credit. They're written in the law. If you do the thing, then you get the benefit. Um, negotiated credits or incentives are the benefit that uh, you get if you promise to do something in the future. So this is usually job creation. These are capital investments. This is the Jobs Ohio stuff. This is the stuff that you get through the city. Both, although different, are highly beneficial and highly available you know, to companies that are doing things. So for statutory incentives, get guidance from a good tax professional. If you don't have one, get one. If you have got a bad one, switch. Uh, good ones focus on value and benefits. Uh, bad ones use fear a lot. Um, for the negotiated incentives, uh, get help from your state and local economic development agency. That's, that's the city you live in or Jobs Ohio. That's a good place to start. There's also a lot of experts you know, that can help guide you through the process. And you can always call us. You know, we'll point you in the right direction. We focus on R&D credits, but we have partners that work in all of these areas. So we will get you squared away with somebody that can help you. So transitioning to that, so business is making a little bit of a pivot, transitioning more to a software as a service company. What are you talking about initiatives? What are other major goals moving forward for the foreseeable future, whether you plan out two, three, five, ten years? What does that look like? Yeah, and I think when I think of myself, you know, professionally, along with the, the company, you know, our, our goal is to, to position it for uh, some kind of exit. You know, we want to build the orchestra and we want to get it playing. Uh, professionally, you know, I would like to see Claris R&D through the entire growth cycle get it to a point where, you know, I can, ex I can experience the end-to-end -end experience. You know, I've been lucky to see this thing from the very beginning. And I really want to reward the investors and the team, especially the ones that came on board and took a chance with us. And, you know, part of it is just it's becoming more fun now as we have more musicians in the room. 
Um, what we are focused on doing over the next two or three years, and we really focus a lot on this, is, is building a healthy business. You know, strong margins, cash flow, and when you do that, I think you create options, you know, for the business. You know, I think that in, you know, that amount of time, I mean, we could see a strategic acquisition under the right circumstances, or, you know, because of the dynamics of the business, because it's, you know, got strong margins and we've built a good business, you know, we could just let it cash flow and pay the investors that way. Uh, and we've, we've even entertained the idea of maybe selling it to the employees at some point. You know, I think that's one of the benefits that when you build the strong team, you know, you have people that you can pass the baton to. And we like the fact that this business has those options. You know, personally, you know, after that transition for me, you know, I, I feel compelled to pass on what I've learned. I've, I've been lucky and, you know, like nobody gets to this point by themselves. You know, starting a, a business, especially a high growth one, is not easy and it's not for everyone. But honestly, I think this is what our country needs. And if you're called to do it, uh, you should do it. You know, it's kind of interesting. If you, if you go back 150 years in our country, we were largely a nation of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. You know, it was mostly like shopkeepers and farmers and so on. But I mean, we were largely a nation of problem solvers. We had to get it figured out. And then we had this thing called the Industrial Revolution that turned a lot of us into employees. And there were good things that came from that, we, but I think we lost that a little bit. And I think we need to get back there. I think there's a lot of that that's going on in our country right now. We need to get back to being able to do things for ourselves. And honestly, you know, there's never been a, a better time in our country to start a business with all the things that are out there. We just need to do it. And I'm glad it's become cool again, actually. You know, when I graduated from college, I mean, all the smart kids were aiming for corporate jobs. That's what you did. And now, you know, with my children starting to go to college, there's this path that's being created to go and work in entrepreneurship. And I think that's, that's great. And I think people that have done it, I think they need to teach it. You know, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about writing books and teaching classes, although I think that that's really helpful. But I'm really kind of talking about, you know, deep investment, like almost discipleship type model where you find six or a dozen people that you teach because so much of it is experiential and so much is situational and so much is experience based that, you know, in the same way that kind of like we've engaged Pam to like deeply counsel us on how to get to the next level. I think if you are a talented operator and you've done that, you need to, you need to do it. And I think this could really kind of be our secret sauce in Ohio too. You know, I, I'm, I'm really super thankful that we have big funds and VCs that are coming into the Midwest. I think that we need that, but you know, honestly, I think the, the shine is coming off that a little bit. You know, when you kind of see the, the WeWorks and the Theranoses and the Casper mattresses that you know, you kind of see when you get a chance to look under the covers that maybe that's not such a great business, you know, and there was all this uh, capital that went into the company, but sometimes that causes some crazy behavior. And I think this VC model that's been around since the 70s, you know, where you have 10 companies and two of them are winners and, you know, eight of them are losers, you know, why not have eight winners? You know, that might 
look a little different. You know, you might pick different companies, you might fund them differently, the investments might look a little different. You know, might be more debt and you know, revenue participation and different ways of funding these companies, but you know, maybe you let them take a little bit more time. Maybe you let them build their orchestra a little bit. And you know, I think that this could be something that we in the Midwest could be the best at. You know, let Silicon Valley Valley be Silicon Valley. You know, we don't have to be Silicon Valley all the time. You know, let's let's be Ohio. Let's build great businesses here. Uh, the last question I showed centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. Hmm. And without telling you too much about why we picked that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Oh my gosh, you know, I, I think that the entrepreneurial journey is really about becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. You know, it, it's about, you know, taking that circle of the things that you are comfortable with and like intentionally pushing the envelope and pushing the circle out. Um, and I sort of talked about teaching a lot. And I think that's another thing that can be deeply taught is I think that as we take on and we look to pay back, you know, what we have learned, not only do we have an obligation to live our lives a little uncomfortably, to take risks and to push that envelope, but to encourage others because doing businesses from scratch, being an entrepreneur is very, can be very lonely work. You know, there's a lot of doubt, you know, both external people that don't believe what you're doing, but then that feeds your internal doubt as well. You know, can I do this? Am I doing the right thing? I mean, it's the old imposter syndrome. It's like, do I belong here? You know, should I be doing this? Am I making a big mess and mistakes for my family? You know, I think that we as people who do this have an obligation to not only do it ourselves, but then to go out and help others through that emotional process. So, I mean, if you're a young person and you're thinking about entrepreneurship, my advice to you is go out and be an operator. That's what I think we're short of right now. I, I believe that there is actually plenty of people out there that know how to work a spreadsheet. I think that there are plenty of lawyers out there. You know, apologies to all my attorney friends. Um, I actually think that there's a decent amount of money out there. I think there's a decent amount of ideas out there. What we really need are people that can take those ideas and get them into companies that hire people and create livelihood for communities. That's what we need. We need people that can take that to that. And that is really hard work. Uh, and there's more places to do it now. There's more help out there. There's great things like Techstars and Venture for America to get connected. There's so much more in this town than there was 10 years ago in terms of startups to go work, work for and immerse yourself. And I would say if you're already operating a business, you know, focus on building a good business. You know, when I think about what we focus on and what I think a lot of entrepreneurs should be focused on is stewardship. You know, why, why are you doing this? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really about generating personal wealth for yourself or a handful of winners at the top. I think it should be fundamentally about impact. It should be about the impact you make on your customers, it should be the impact you make on your employees, and it should be the impact you make on your community. 
Ultimately, businesses, I believe, should be prosperity engines. They should be what drives that prosperity in all those circles. And if you're running a business and you're focused on that, I believe that you are focused in the right place. And, you know, like I said before, if you've been a successful operator, go out and teach it. Don't retire to Naples and don't go sit on a beach. You have a responsibility to build the next generation of uh, creators. So, and don't do it just with your money, do it with your time and your attention. And do that relational model that we talked about earlier. And, you know, all three of us are big Ohio State guys. You know, Woody Hayes always said, pay it forward. So, you know, go out and pay it forward. Well, Jeff, that's great advice and a great answer. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your story with us and our listeners. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me today. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so did we. And uh, Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked it. Leave us a like, share us on uh, Facebook, give us a rating on iTunes. You want to learn more about Jeff and his team, check out the links down in the show notes. And again, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like, share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent. Through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state, And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. If you could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.